Welcome to Canada's most irreverent talk show. This is The Andrew Lawton Show, brought to you by True North. Hello and welcome to you all, Canada's most irreverent talk show here, The Andrew Lawton Show on True North. It is Thursday, November 30th, the last day of November. I know December is already upon us. I've been trying to avoid doing, actually, I haven't been avoiding. I've been like rubbing it in your faces every day uh, with the like Christmas countdown, where now I guess that means that 25 days to Christmas. So uh, the good news is you got a weekend coming up. You can get some early Christmas shopping done if that's what you are doing. Although, based on that discussion we had a couple of weeks ago with the Canadian Human Rights Commission saying that it is uh, discriminatory to honor Christmas, I suppose you should just like all start typing away to get your human rights complaint filed. I'll have to rush through the show so that we can finish things up before they take us off the air once and for all. But we are standing firm and standing defiant. And uh, just to insulate myself a little bit from your uh, calls for cancellation, I figured we'd bring in the boss herself, my colleague Candace Malcolm, who you haven't seen as much of in the last couple of years. She's been tending to a very significant role, I'd say probably the most important role, being a mother but she has returned with a bang. The Candace Malcolm Show is back at True North, and I thought what better way to celebrate it than bringing Candace Malcolm herself back on The Andrew Lawton Show. Candace, good to talk to you, and welcome back. Thank you so much for that introduction, Andrew. It's great to be here. And I just have to say that I've enjoyed True North's coverage while I've been away. I've enjoyed the Andrew Lawton show so much. Literally, that's the way that I would stay in touch with what was going on in the outside world. I would get my news exclusively from True North, and I really, really think you guys have done a great job in my absence, so thank you for that. Well, I, I'm very glad, and obviously, uh, I mean, you, we were in touch over that time, and I think we chatted at the uh, the Albany Club uh, whenever that was, and, and everyone was so happy to, to see you back. But uh, let me just first ask you, how blissful has it been to not have CBC as part of your news diet? Because on one hand, I'm like <laughs> flattered, okay, yeah, she's paying attention to my show, but, but on the other hand, it's like I hear people that get their news only from legacy media sources, and I can't imagine their mental health is all that good. Yeah, I was definitely one of those people for many years, Andrew, but I, I, I sort of took a unique opportunity, I guess, during my maternity leave. I decided to basically unplug uh, from social media, from the sort of digital landscape that we are so attached to. And I mean, it's a little ironic given that I am a you know, the founder and the, the owner of this company that is a digital media platform. And so much of the way that we reach Canadians is through these new non-traditional um, distribution channels like social media. But for me personally, it was almost just like a mental health break. Like I, I got off of Twitter, off of Facebook, off of Instagram. I deleted all those apps from my phone. And the only way that I was really getting news was through email. So I subscribed to a few different newsletters, True North being obviously my favorite, but also just a really good source of news. And I think definitely for me during that time, like being spending time with my kids, spending time face to face with them, not always being on a device, grabbing my phone. Most of the time, I didn't even have my phone like on the same floor of the house with me. And it was really nice. It was it was kind of a good reset. And, you know, it was almost hard for me to get back into it. Like I just finally started downloading these apps back onto my phone and kind of getting sucked back into you know, the doom scrolling scrolling that sometimes happens when you're on Twitter or X uh, for too long. You just have to remember to turn it off. I still think it's important, like on the weekends, on Sundays, I put my phone away and give my attention entirely uh, to my kids, and my family. And so just to answer your question, like 
not having CBC, obviously, that was great. I mean, I didn't have to listen to the propaganda. I didn't have the rising blood pressure that happens when you have to, you know, subject yourself to the misinformation, to use their term, uh, or just a stream of, of media narrative that they that they try to ram down your throat. Um, that was a nice break. I encourage um, all of your watchers and all of your listeners to uh, just tune out of the legacy media because the more you pay attention to them, really, the more frustrated you will be. When you mentioned the Twitter X thing, I was just imagining you trying to reinstall Twitter and not being able to find it. You're like looking on your phone. Where is this tool? What's what the hell is this X thing? Where did this come from? Uh, I, I know that you were like living in a cave or anything like that, but I, I will ask you on that because if we talk about the way media has changed, it used to be that news was an active thing that you had to go out of your way to consume. You picked up the newspaper, you read it, you closed the newspaper, that was done. You turned on the TV at six o'clock or 11 o'clock and it was done. And you are right in, in that social media has led to a barrage of news throughout the day. And I'm a news junkie. So for me, I've never viewed that as a negative, but it does change the relationship people have with news. This is now something that is kind of endured or that you can be bombarded with. It's not something that you just can have a sort of a set part of the day that you deal with it. Yeah, and I think it's a negative part of our culture. I think that's part of the reason why none of us can really get along anymore. And we, we were all like at each other's throats, especially uh, if you think about during COVID when we just you know, people just uh, didn't see eye to eye or didn't agree with the facts coming out. It's like, you know, you used to, to your point, you get the newspaper and that was the news of the day. And then you wouldn't get more news until maybe the, the, that evening or the next day. And, you know, the introduction of cable news, they called it the 24 hour news cycle because there had to be new news, you know, every, every, every hour to keep the airways fill. Well, now with social media, it's like, it's like every second there's something new. And, you know, it, it can really suck you into this thing that political news is all that matters in the world. It's all that matters in your life. And you define yourself in those terms. And it makes it harder to relate to people and you know, people in your family, people in your friend group, people in your community that might not share the exact same political views as you. It makes it more divisive. So I, I think we would be better served just as a society, generally speaking, um, to, to take a step back from that. Yes, you know, be aware, be, be informed, know what's happening in your community and your society. Definitely hold the government to account. That's what we do at True North. Mm. Don't let politics you know, dictate every moment of your life. Like enjoy the real things that matter, your family, your friends, your relationship. You go outside into nature and, and appreciate the great outdoors. We don't have to be hunched over our laptops or over our phones all the time. I think I think really having that human connection is so much more important um, than the digital world. And you know, social media is great and and it's it's really helped us, especially us in the news business. And it helps so many people connect. You know, you think of friends from high school, university that you're able to just really easily keep in touch with because of social media apps. Um, but obviously there's also the negative side to that, which is that technology can be very addictive. It can be very isolating. It can make you feel very lonely and very detached from the real world and being human. And so it's it's just important to be aware of that and uh, to make sure that you're not allowing yourself to be like sucked into the addiction of technology. To, to go to the news industry side for a moment, the conventional wisdom is that news is in decline, media is dying, and I think in a lot of ways there's reason to think that. You see mass layoffs from some of these big players like Bell Media and Post Media, but it's not the full picture because independent media outlets are growing. I, I don't know if I, I, maybe I'm revealing too much, but I don't really care. Just yesterday, you and I were chatting with some of our colleagues and you just said, let's put up a job posting for X. I won't tell people what the, the job posting was yet. And and that's, I think, an example of, of where obviously we have to be scrappy and we have to deal with a much smaller budget than our 
counterparts in the legacy media do, but but we are hiring, we're not firing, and, and they are not experiencing that. So I, I don't think it's fair to say that media is in decline. I think it's fair to say that the landscape is shifting. But I'll ask you why you think, and maybe it's content, maybe it's business, maybe it's the business model or something else entirely, but why is that happening? Why is independent media able to grow when legacy media is not and has had to rely on on bailouts just to even maintain it? Yeah, no, I think it's absolutely a good comparison and it's fair. I mean, if you think about it, like the very reason that they had to go hat in hand to the Trudeau government is because their business model is stale and they haven't adapted to the new digital landscape of the new digital world. Uh, they, the newspapers and all of these subscription-based uh, platforms really required a captive audience and a monopoly in terms of advertising. And we just don't see that anymore. It's way more efficient to advertise on Facebook or on Google. You'll actually reach the very specific demographic in the very specific area that you're looking for, as opposed to putting an ad in a newspaper. So I think that True North has been able to not not go by that sort of like we don't rely on advertising at all uh, for, for our business. And I, I also think that there's something that has gone fundamentally corrupt within the legacy media, whether they realize it or not. They are biased. They are beholden to the Trudeau government. And I think perhaps their worst crime, Andrew, is that they're boring. It's so much mm. of the sameness. It's so much repetitiveness. They have very limited way of looking at the world and the way that they present the world. It's very static. It's very inauthentic. Uh, whereas, you know, when it comes to True North, you get podcasts, you get something a little bit more real, a little bit more relaxed. Uh, you have people talking about politics, but they can also talk about culture and, and community and family and other things that interest them. And so I think that that this platform is just more consumable. It's it's more natural. It's more relatable to so much of the audience, which is why we do have that audience. You know, it's not just because we're offering the other side of the story, which we do, telling stories that aren't being told. We do. But I think that the the, the new platform and, and these new independent media companies like True North just offer a, a, a more entertaining more interesting platform and you know you know so much of the legacy media is just really stuck in this old dated model and unfortunately for them they're not that being fortunately for true north you know we we've found great success we found an audience we're continuing to grow we've been pretty conservative in our growth just because we didn't want to go out and spend tons of money and you know not to be able to have it something sustainable uh, but we are in a position now where we are growing we're doing big things we have exciting things on the horizon for 2024 and beyond i'm really excited about it i th actually think it's a great industry um, it's a great time to be in the industry because it's changing and if you're able to to, you know, adapt and continue to search for that audience, uh, you, I think you can be rewarded as we are here at True North. I, I felt bad because I always love hearing feedback from people. We were at True North Nation, which was a, an event you were at and I was at that True North hosted in Calgary. And we had, uh, I think, like 450 people out from our uh, audience, which was fantastic. And, and one guy came up and said, have you considered starting a newspaper? And I thought he was joking and he wasn't. And I, I felt bad about that because I think I may have chuckled instinctively. But uh, no, I think that, you know, re really the answer is no, is, is that, you know, the reason that a lot of these companies, as you say, are, are having such a difficult time adapting is because they are so reliant on things that are very costly, that have very high overhead. I mean, I look at Sun News Network, which was a great example. You and I, I mean, you had more of a role there than I did. I just appeared every now and then on some of the shows. But this was, uh, I think, spending $20 million a year and had a fraction of the audience that True North has cultivated with a fraction of the budget that Sun News had. And look, it only lasted a couple of years before that was just unsustainable. 
Yeah, it's a very sad story. I worked at Sun News Network in Toronto. And let me tell you, Andrew, it was such an impressive outfit. Like you walked into the studios and it was incredibly sophisticated, modern, like the amount of equipment that they had. The studios were beautiful, huge staff, big newsroom. It was really fun to work there. But I think you're right. They sort of uh, put the cart before the horse, uh, so to speak. And they really built this this really modern, incredible, expensive uh, apparatus. And unfortunately, they just didn't get the right regulations. Things didn't go their way. They didn't get the mandatory carriage um, on Canadian news. You, you have to keep in mind that the Canadian news business is you know very controlled, very government mm-hmm. controlled, and they didn't do they didn't do that part correctly. Uh, as, as far as the audience, it's hard to tell. It's really hard to tell how many people are watching TV in any channel. I think that a lot of those numbers are really uh, over exaggerated uh, when it comes to how many people are watching CNN, given that anytime you walk through an airport, uh, every single TV has CNN on there, same with CBC in Canada. So I think that the numbers that they believe that they're getting are quite exaggerated. But look, uh, you know, I, I spent the beginning part of the interview talking about how social media can be addictive and it's good to get off of it. But at the same time, that's how True North reaches its audience. That's how we have been able to build this really incredible media company. And it is because of these channels like YouTube, uh, X, Facebook, Instagram, unfortunately, uh, the last two, we've basically been blocked uh, from having access to things to the Trudeau government's regulations and laws. Hopefully that will change soon and we'll get back onto those audience. But it just shows you again how important it is to continue to adapt. Like if for us at True North, we can't rely on that Facebook audience. The Facebook audience mm-hmm. used to be our biggest audience. It isn't anymore. And, uh, you know, we've had to look to other places, Rumble and other social media outlets, because we can't rely on that one because you never know what the Trudeau government's going to do. You never know if that social media company is going to just start banning your opinion because they don't like it as we did see uh, during COVID. So again, it's, it's it's a fun, interesting business because you have to kind of constantly adapt, constantly be changing, constantly making sure that you're remaining diversified and you're remaining able to reach the audience that you have uh, cultivated. Just for people, let's go back to the basics here because you shared at True North Nation the origin story of True North, which I sort of have heard a few times now just because I was there not at the beginning but not long after it. And I know you've shared it elsewhere, but there's this new wave of audience that we get every, well, I mean, I'd say several times a year, but certainly at points such as the election, the Freedom Convoy, COVID, we bring in new people that haven't been there since the start. And I think it's like, you know, the laborers in the vineyard parable in the Bible. We welcome you all regardless of when you started. But <laughs> how did True North shift from what was originally envisioned as a think tank and very narrowly focused on immigration into this independent media powerhouse? Uh, yeah, no, it's a great question. And it's a great point that we need to uh, you know, explain the, the origin story because not everyone was there from the beginning. Many people were, and we appreciate those people who have supported us from the beginning. But yeah, like my own background, Andrew, prior to uh, getting into media and being a journalist, I had more of an academic background. I worked at think tanks uh, in Vancouver, in Washington, D.C. And it, it, you know, I wanted to do something sort of more academic, writing papers, writing policy papers, focused on immigration, telling the other side of the immigration story, which is just the need to make sure that people integrate and and that they embrace Canada and talking about immigration security and some of the threats that happened there. Anyway, I I started doing that. But then I also had a column in the Toronto Sun. I've been a longtime columnist and writer over there. And what I found was that through my research would lead to me writing news reports. And every time I would write a news report that would get into the Toronto Sun, my audience, the people who supported True North in those early days, 
really wanted more of that. They were like, you know, these white papers are fine, mm. but nobody reads them and they're not really having an influence because Justin Trudeau is a prime minister. He's not reading them. So, you know, why don't you do more of the research, more of the investigative stories, more breaking news stories about immigration. And that was the part that just sort of had interest and no one else was really doing it. And so we pivoted. We said, okay, let's, let's focus more on telling news stories, doing investigative journalism to do with immigration, to do with terrorism, to do with border security. And at some point it was like, you know, this is just too 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 narrow as well. Why are we only talking about one issue when there's all this other stuff happening in Canada? And Andrew, you know, as a journalist, as soon as you start telling stories and start uh, researching in one area, you just start getting so many tips and so many leads and so many people pointing you in different directions. Um, really, I couldn't do it by myself. So I started bringing on other journalists. And now, you know, we, we focus on anything and everything in Canadian politics and Canadian culture and and you know, beyond, I think, Andrew, you gained yourself a, a very big following by going to Davos and exposing mm -hmm. the World Economic Forum. Um, so, you know, it's not just limited to Canada, although obviously we're all Canadian and that is our focus. But, you know, I, I, th I think just even that origin story of how we pivoted, how we went from just focusing on research um, to wanting to do journalism, it shows something that I think every business owner knows to be true, which is that you can't be too firm in your in your position. You have to be amendable to changing, to pivoting, um, to focusing on something new, depending on what the audience wants uh, and where you're finding success. And so that's basically what we did. How do you define the editorial position? Because the, one of the challenges is that people in our space tend to get typecast by our critics and you know every now and then the you know, Huffington Post or whatever will slip in like a far right and if you call them on it they scurry away and change it because they know that they really can't defend it but but for people that like what is true north in that sense well I, I think that that sort of old dynamic of left versus right it doesn't really always apply mm -hmm. I mean if you look at even just COVID and the vaccines like people who were in favor of it versus people who opposed it it didn't really fall on left, right, conservative, liberal views. So I think that there is a lot of sort of changing landscape uh, when it comes to just political ideology in general. But I think as far as what we do at True North, from the perspective of our, of our news, we are independent. Uh, I think that we just look to tell the other side of the story, look to tell stories that aren't being told. There's no agenda. There's no like persuasion. It's just like, let's tell the stories of Canadians. Let's tell them in a fair and accurate way. Let's try to be unique and entertaining. Yes, but let's tell the news. And so I think our news division, we try to be just neutral and straight down the middle. As far as our podcasts, I would say that we would probably tend to be more um, center-right, conservative, uh, critical, certainly, of things like wokeism, um, you know, uh, critical race theory, the Trudeau liberals, a lot of the sort of gender stuff that they push in. Uh, we tend to be very opposed to radical Islam and terrorism. Um, and so those things, I think, certainly in Canada, uh, would, would, would put us more on the center-right. But, you know, it's really interesting. But because of our coverage, for instance, during COVID, when we were just really telling stories of people who maybe got fired from their job because they didn't want to get uh, a COVID vaccine or people who were skeptical for, for their own reasons, uh, the, the audience that we were reaching really wasn't center-right. Mm -hmm. It was just Canadians. And I think we brought a lot of people on board. I think a lot of people who would have never thought of themselves as conservatives, but for instance, supported the Freedom Rally and supported the truckers. Um, all of a sudden they were smeared as far right. And they started to realize like, wow, you know, Candace Malcolm and Andrew Lawton are smeared as far right, but they're obviously not. Um, so maybe, um, you know, they're getting smeared as far right. I have uh, friends right now who are uh, Jewish, who are pro-Israel, view themselves as liberal, 
but all of a sudden they're asking, you know, why is it only the conservative and right-wing media that is talking about this issue of these sort of crazy pro-Hamas rallies in Canada? Mm-hmm. Um, and it kind of makes them question the entire media narrative. And they say, well, you know, wh- why does it take right-wing media to expose this? Maybe you're not right-wing after all. Maybe I shouldn't have believed what the legacy media has, has said about you all these years. And, you know, I think everyone has their own moment when they wake up to realize that the things that the legacy media say aren't necessarily true. And I think that so much of what the legacy media has said about our organization over the years really doesn't hold up to much scrutiny. Yeah, and I, I would also add to that, and it's a distinction I've made elsewhere, that there's a difference between being right-wing media and media that is of interest to people on the right. And by that, what I mean is that you can have a, an approach where you cover things that matter to a subset of the population without pandering to them and without being especially biased. And, and one of the things that I've absolutely loved doing with True North is covering leadership races within the Conservative Party. We've had two in the time that I've been at True North, one in 2020 and another in, in 2022. And in both of these, True North really stood out for asking questions of leadership candidates that mattered. Whereas whenever any of these went on CBC, for starters, they're not speaking to the people that actually make the decisions in those races, which are Conservative Party members, but they're speaking about issues that don't even matter to people. As They're asking questions about climate change and abortion and systemic racism, whereas you know people want to know, how are you, how are you going to deal with Quebec? And what's your view on supply management? And how are you going to keep caucus together? And are you going to have free votes? And I think that's probably a real distinction of, of where we add value and it's not that we're being uncritical. I think, you know, oftentimes we have harsher words for some conservative politicians than we do for some on the left. It's that we are asking those questions in a way that matters to a portion of the population that really seems to be forgotten or denigrated by the legacy media. Yeah, no, that's so true. I think Vivek uh, Ramaswamy running for Republican leader down in the States made a similar point the other night. Like, why are we doing these Republican debates, you know, on with the legacy media, with these journalists who hate us? Uh, I, I think that in Canada... A large part of the population, a large part, portion of Canadians just get written off uh, by the legacy media. They don't understand them. They don't like them. They don't care about them. Uh, but when you see the legacy media attacking Pierre Polyev, when you see the legacy media overtly attacking conservatives, even conservative media like myself and you, Andrew, uh, we're really just a stand-in, right? We're a stand-in for everyday Canadians that the media doesn't understand and doesn't like. And I think a lot of people finally see that. They, they, they see through uh, the, the idea that, you know, during a leadership race, why would a conservative want to sit there and focus entirely on the liberal agenda and liberal talking points and liberal issues when issues that matter to many Canadians and conservative voters just happen to be very different? Like we don't want to sit here and talk about hypotheticals and talk about, you know, law changes that will never happen. We want to talk about the cost of living and we want to talk about, you know, our communities and our culture. And I I think that giving those people the time of day, trying to understand them, the trucker convoy or freedom convoy, again, is a great example, rather than just looking at people and writing them off and saying that these are hateful people and we're not going to talk to them, you know, go go figure out what it's all about and go figure out who these people are. And I think that's a lot of what we try to do here at True North. When you talk about storytelling, I've always been very keenly aware of the fact that True North is speaking to an audience that often doesn't get covered. And I mean, this is a big part of what CBC always says it does, is it wants to tell the stories of people in the rural and remote communities, people in the North, Indigenous communities. And if CBC stuck to that, I think it would be more defensible as a public broadcaster. Instead, they want to, you know, host the Junos and, you know, have hockey, you know, games and 
play the Oscars and host the Olympics and all that stuff, where there is a significant private sector competition. What do you think are the underserved communities in this country where True North can really make an impact in, in telling those stories? Well, just to just add on to that point, I think the true the true uh, sorry the CBC loves to cover sort of very small communities uh, when it comes to like I don't know a First Nations community that believes in transgenderism that does some special ceremony like they'll find the most obscure strange you know thing that applies to like three people and they'll focus on that and tell an entire story on it and meanwhile they'll completely ignore like vast numbers of working class first nations people and canadians who support industry who want to see more things getting built who want more development and, and more prosperity um in the north so it is pretty ironic i look i grew up in western canada i grew up um, I spent much of my time in high school in a very blue collar community on Vancouver Island. And the kinds of people that I grew up with and the, the things that mattered in those communities felt invisible at the time. And I think when I look back at it now, they're still invisible. I think that there's a lot of struggles that uh, people in blue collar, smaller communities uh, deal with. That's not visible. That's not obvious to people who live in Montreal, Toronto, uh, or Ottawa. And so they just don't get told. And I think that a lot of our audience for True North are people in Western Canada, people who feel ignored by the federal government and the legacy media. And those are the kind of people we we want to stand in for. It really, in a lot of ways, Andrew, it's it's kind of the underdog. It's, it's the people who get uh, either ignored or get bullied by the elites and the legacy media. Like, again, just to go back to COVID and the people who were choosing not to get vaccinated vaccinated for their own reasons. You were never hearing those kinds of stories in the legacy media. Mm -hmm. They just simply weren't being told. People who were being discriminated against for their choices, people who had very valid medical reasons for not choosing to get vaccinated, they were just demonized and they were written off and the media didn't care about them. The media didn't ask many questions. They just didn't want to see them. Um, and I think that True North provided quite a big service and we grew our audience significantly during that time by simply going out, finding those people, telling their stories, doing real reporting, talking about the things that were happening in those communities. I don't know why the legacy media chose to just completely disregard those people and not cover their stories because, first of all, their stories were really interesting. And by telling those stories, uh, True North was able to, again, grow our audience, connect with a large number of people, create trust with a bunch of people who might not have otherwise heard of us or trusted us. And I think that, again, it was their loss because they just chose not to not to do their job, which was to report things that were happening in the country. And it gave us um, that opportunity. And I think that that served us well. It's a good reminder going forward that, that, that those are the kind of stories that we seek to tell. That's the kind of thing that we want to tell. And that's why we're here. We're going to continue to tell those stories. And to go back to Sun News for a moment, one of the things Sun News did that I always really respected was make a point of covering any provincial election, regardless of how big or small the province. I mean, they had someone out in PEI. They had a couple of people there when PEI, which is not a you know a powerhouse population-wise in this country, was going to the polls. And one of the great assets that we have is that we have a very decentralized team at True North. And that doesn't mean we can cover the entire country. We uh, don't have a full-time presence in Atlantic Canada right now, but we have in the past. And we've got people in BC, Alberta, Ontario, and so on. And that, I think, is really helpful because one of the big problems of the media is that you've got certainly local media in these sections, but the national media kind of views the country as just being this corridor from Toronto to Montreal and Ottawa and that's really it and anything that happens outside of that just becomes more and more abstract 
No, you're really, you're right. And I hope that we do get a uh, presence in Atlantic Canada again. At one point, we had two or three reporters out there. It sort of just depends on uh, the cycle. I was talking to a friend of mine out in Nova Scotia the other day, and she was talking about how there's basically one radio station and they play things in a loop. And, you, you know, if you want to just find out what's happening locally, it's, it's actually quite hard. And it's interesting, Andrew, because you know, the, the whole point or part of the point of having these media bailouts and having these subsidies and, and, and um, tax credits to media companies is so that they will provide local journalism and they'll provide uh, storytellings and keeping pe- storytelling and keeping people informed throughout the country. Uh, and they don't do that. They don't do that clearly because uh, when you talk to people in Atlanta, Canada, you know, I said that we focus on Western Canada's partially my own bias because that's where I'm from and that's what I'm more familiar with. But I would love to hire someone on Atlanta, Canada. And I too like that about Sun News Network, especially for you know political junkies like us who actually really care about all these little mini uh, small elections that are happening, municipal or provincial. It matters and it's interesting and it helps tell a bigger story. And so I love that you, know, you and your producer, Sean, are able to just hop on a plane. I'm sure you have more air miles, Andrew, than just about any other journalists in the country. You're constantly on the road, constantly traveling around the country. And I love that. And I hope you can do more of it. But yeah, I think it's very important to tell these stories. And again, unfortunately, the media is just the legacy media is just not doing their job in keeping Canadians informed. I think my wife hopes I do more as well. It makes things easier (laughs) for her when I'm out all the time. But uh, just one question I'll ask you in closing here, Candice. You alluded earlier in a, a very vague way to plans for 2024. What's on your list for 2024? What do you want to see True North doing next year? Well, it's funny. We just had a Christmas party and we, uh, <laughs> I mean, maybe maybe it's not so such a fun Christmas party when we sit there for half the day and do strategy talks, but I think that's part of what uh, we like doing with our journalists. And Yeah, but Rachel yeah. already outed us that we went to the arcade after, so it's okay. People <laughs> already know. She, she blabbed to the audience about our secret fun plans. Well, well, it's good that the uh, audience at least thinks that we have a little bit of fun and that our Christmas parties aren't just like sitting in a boardroom at a hotel talking about uh, our, our business plans for 2024. But yeah, no, I think we're, we're, we're growing. We're going to continue uh, providing the news that people like. Uh, so, some some sort of exciting things that we're talking about, which is uh, building more in-person studios somewhere in around Toronto. We're currently looking at real estate and looking to build a proper setup. You know, one of the things that has helped True North grow and be successful is that we basically all outfitted ourselves with these great little home studios uh, during COVID. And it, it is great to be able to you know, record a show for me. I'm basically a part-time stay-at-home mom and uh, being able to be close to my kids is really great. Uh, but at the same time, when we're doing professional interviews, when we're doing shows, uh, we want to, as we grow, we want to basically be able to have an in-person studio. So we're working towards that. Uh, like I said, we've been conservative with uh, our finances in the past, but we really are investing in growth. Um, so we will be growing. We'll be having um, n- new shows, new setups, uh, new studios, all that kind of stuff in 2024. And I'm really looking forward uh, to the journey and to continuing to grow this uh, wonderful organization. Well, you didn't mention canceling a show there, so I can breathe easy for uh, for next year anyway. Uh, Candace Malcolm, founder of True North, the editor-in-chief, and my longtime friend. It's great to see you as always, Candace. and uh, people can check you out at the Candace Malcolm Show at TNC.News now. Thank you so much, Candace. Great. Thanks for joining me, Andrew, and uh, Merry Christmas to you and your family and uh, to the whole audience. I hope everyone has a wonderful Christmas. Yes, ditto to you as well. That does it for us for today. I am off next week, but you will have lots to keep you company over at tnc.news. And as always, if you want to support independent media, you can do that at donate.tnc.news. That's the Andrew Lawton Show signing off. Thank you, God bless, and good day to you all. Thanks for listening to the Andrew Lawton Show. Support the program by donating to True North at www.tnc.news.